Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with former GM of the Green Bay Packers and Hall of Famer, Ron Wolf. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, we're joined by the legendary general manager of the Green Bay Packers. He's a three-time Super Bowl champion, and he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2015. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Wolf. Ron, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it's my pleasure, Brett. Thanks for having me. You got it. We had, you know, I had a... Uh, Actually, a favorite of mine growing up watching him play. We're, we're actually we're similar age, but we had uh, Brett Favre on and uh, great interview. And he had a lot of really cool things to say about yours truly. And, and here's a little clip of what he had to say. The media asked me, you know, hey, are you aware the Packers haven't made the playoffs in 25 years? And, you know, I. I haven't seen any clips of my initial interviews, but I probably said something to the effect, no, but that's going to change. Yeah. Um, it, it, little did I know it changed and changed in, in a hurry. And I think, you know, the guy that is is 100% responsible for that change is Ron Wolf. Now, he's going to deflect all that and point it towards me or, or Mike Holmgren or whoever, but – he assembled a cast that I, I don't want to say was misfits, but what me in particular, again, he he traded a first round pick for a guy who was drafted in the second round. I mean, this is this is crazy stuff. Who who did everything he could to get cut from his previous team, put on twenty six pounds, not good pounds, might I add, and you're going to trade a first round pick for him. He didn't even play a snap, and you're going to trade a first round pick for him. Are you crazy? But, you know, and I thought I thought a lot of my game. I, I thought I could play. I was I, I wouldn't call myself cocky. I was confident. But I don't I think what I thought of myself was still less than what Ron Wolf thought of me or what I could accomplish. Which says a lot for you know, to have have that expertise that he had, that mindset, that that eye for talent. Uh, and I'm I'm forever thankful and grateful for him. Wow. Yeah, Ronnie, I, I thought th- I thought that was really cool because we all through our careers, we have mentors, we have teammates, we have just people that that uh, made a big impact on our life. And throughout the conversation, you know, I could I could sense with Brett, you were that guy for him. Well, he was certainly that guy for me. There's no question about that. When I uh, when I had the opportunity to trade for him, you know, uh, like one would say, that's a no-brainer. Uh, and you you rarely get an opportunity, uh, as you're more than uh, well aware, to get a, to get a guy that you think is going to be a dominant performer at his position. And in pro football, quarterback is a position. And this is a guy I felt very strongly was the best player in the 1991 draft. <clears throat> and uh, we had the opportunity to get him. 
and we got him, and he was even better than I thought he was. Yeah, between him, he mentioned a few other guys, and we'll get to that later. Just with you at the helm, turn that Packers franchise around, and it's it's the Packers that we know today. When you see someone walking around these days, the Green Bay Packer hat or, or a Packer jersey, what's the first thing you think of? Oh, I think of the uh, the first thing. I, that's an interesting question. First thing I, <laughs> I tried to of, get tricky with you. Yeah, yeah. No, the first thing I think of is, you know, we kind of uh, resurrected a dead franchise, and uh, with with Favre and then with Rogers, it's just continued on, and uh, you know. T- uh, I was a GM, and Ted Townsend was a GM, and it just kept going and going and going. But this is something a lot of people can't fathom. When I took that job, the Packers were off, and uh, yet they had an enormous fan base. Whenever we traveled, there were a lot of Packers fans in the stands rooting, rooting for us. We had 25 years of uh, not very good football. Uh, up there after Vince Lombardi left. And, uh, but it's, when I think of the Packers, Brett, I think of tradition. And I think of the wonderful opportunity I had to go work there. Because to me, it's the jewel in the crown for the National Football League. There isn't a place like that. In, in the NFL, like Green Bay, people are referring to, you know, we used to have a stadium like they have in Green Bay, things like that, a setting. And it's, you know, it should be on everybody's bucket list to go to, the, to, go to a game there because it's, a, it's an unbelievable experience. And the people are real. They're genuine. And uh, that's the great thing about being a part of the uh, of the Packers. Yeah, you mentioned one of those iconic uh, stadiums for the NFL. I haven't been to Lambeau Field, but uh, I, I can equate it to to the baseball side of the ledger. And, and there's certain places that you go, and when you leave, you know you've been somewhere special. And I'm sure that's that's one of those places, Lambeau Field. One day. Uh, I may get there and, and watch a game. Ron Wolf as a kid. I want to hear what was Ron Wolf like as a kid? I was I was doing my research and, and checking out your history. I, I know you're a baseball player uh, that ended up making good and, and being being um, the architect of the, of the Green Bay turnaround. But let's start off at, at a young age. You were born in New Freedom, Pennsylvania. And uh, you take it from there. Tell me, tell me what it was like. What, what did you like? Were you a baseball player only? Did you, did you play football? What did you do as a kid? Well, that's right. Uh, first of all, it's a, it's a farming community, uh, New Freedom, PA. It's, uh, it's in the lower, lower half of Pennsylvania, about 18 miles north of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, and essentially... Uh, Growing up, you had an opportunity to uh, either work in the cannery, work at the plastics factory, or work at the bakery. And the bakery left, so now you're down to the plastics or, or the cannery. I worked in the cannery. And uh, during the summer, I played uh, 
you had three sports you could play, football, basketball, and baseball. Uh, track was not big back in, in those days. Uh, I was a lousy football player, pretty good baseball player, and, and an awful basketball player. Uh, some reason I couldn't get that ball in that hoop. Uh, I uh, grew up with the Baltimore Colts in the All-America Football Conference. And then the Colts came back in 1953, back in the league, in the NFL, and uh, was a huge Colts fan. And was my, my one goal in life was to someday work for the Colts, uh, the Baltimore Colts. And, of course, that never happened. But uh, I, I became fascinated with professional football and uh, was very fortunate uh, in 1963, uh, Al Davis, who was named head coach and general manager of the Oakland Raiders, called me and invited me out for for an intern, like an internship uh, for the Raiders. And uh, it, it was an interesting time for me because at Al Davis and four assistant coaches, and every night we would study uh, each position in the American Football League. There are only eight teams in America, the American Football League at that time, so we would do the, the left tackles, the left guard center, so on and so forth. And that's how I learned. I learned by watching a film of each individual player. And, uh, and you would rank them. You know, A is better than Z and so on and so forth. So that's pretty much... Uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, as I said, I, as a youngster, I work in the gannery in the summertime and uh, pretty good at loading uh, the peas truck and lima bean truck. And that uh, was my, uh, my specialty. You go to Glen Rock High School. Like you said, you're a baseball player. Um, that was, you ended up uh, Susquehannock High School. In Glen Rock, oh. PA. Oh, in Glen Rock. Okay, in Glen Rock. Yeah. Um, you ended up in the Army for three years. How'd that come about? Well, I determined that uh, uh, you'd, have to, you'd have to see where I'm from. I determined that I wanted to be uh, a career soldier when I was in high school. And it took my second day in the Army to realize I had made a serious miscalculation <laughs> on, on, my, on my life's, uh, my life's <laughs> desire. So uh, uh, fortunately, I was able to uh, uh, get assigned to a, a, a great place. I was assigned, assigned in the last uh, little bit over a year to the intelligence office of the U.S. commander of Berlin, Germany. And... Uh, it was a, a wonderful experience for someone like myself to have to be associated with all all those uh, highly intelligent people, and I was able to get in school, get in college, and then that helped a lot. Yeah, I find it. It's a very interesting path. You go to the army for three years, then you go to Maryville College, and I still haven't asked you what position were you, baseball player? Shortstop. 
Shortstop. All right. Well, that's the, that's a position. That's a position you want to play. That's a, that's where you get drafted highly in in that field. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. But in those days, those days, <laughs> you know, I look at those guys playing shortstop today. Wow, I could no more be like that. I had to cheat in. I didn't have a strong arm, but I could run like the Dickens, and uh, and that helped. I could chase them down and throw them out. While I got a quick second, want to give a shout out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now, and they are the official sponsor of the Boone Podcast. Dan? Thanks, Boone. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. Everyone wins. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round, and who will hit the most three-pointers, then track your results. Simply download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code BOONE, B-O-O-N-E, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code BOONE, B-O-O-N-E, this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus restrictions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling, and Referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-NEXT-STEP, Arizona, 1-800-522-4700, Colorado, New Hampshire, 888-789-7777, visit HTTP colon forward slash forward slash ccpg.org slash chat connecticut 1-800-BETS-OFF iowa 1-877-770-STOP-7867 louisiana 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369 new york visit obgr.org oregon call text in tennessee redline 1-800-889-9789 tennessee or 1-888-532-3500, Virginia, 21+, plus, 18+, plus, New Hampshire, Wyoming, physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See HTTP colon forward slash forward slash DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And now back to my interview with Ron Wolf. So you went from the Army, Maryville College, baseball, and you graduate. And uh, right away, you go to Pro Football Illustrated. So it gets more it gets more interesting and interesting. Army, baseball player. Now we're in the football arena. You said as a kid growing up, you were just you, you fell in love with with professional football. And then. As you said, 63, uh, you get the job with with Al Davis and you go to those those Raiders teams, which which you're going to have two tenures there. But but very well docu documented. And, and man, what I was reading all the players and, and studying up a little bit uh, on football back then. And, and man, the names pop out at you. It was a little educational process for me going through the life of Ron Wolf. But you touched on Al Davis a little bit. What was he like? 
Uh, and that was back in, you know, that's when you guys were establishing the just win baby. And, and uh, take me through those first few years with the Raiders uh, as a scout, Al Davis, and, and uh, just give me a snapshot of it. Well, I tell you, the great thing about Al Davis was he was singularly focused about one team and one team only as the Raiders. It was always about the Raiders. Everything we did was about the Raiders. And, uh, he, he, you know, he, he was in, in that time when your football people had to run all aspects of the business as well. Uh, not only coach, but the administrative end as well. And, and Al was one of those. He had an IQ of 184, I think. I think that's what it was. And he was just remarkable what he could retain and his knowledge, what he possessed. But he was singularly focused. And the focus was to make the Raiders as good as he possibly could. <clears throat> it took a while. You know, we, we started out 63 doing really well. And then we stumbled a little bit, 64, came back 65, 66. And then in 67, we went 13-1 and one and uh, uh, won the American Football League Championship and I went to play in Super Bowl II against uh, the Packers in Miami. Uh, that 67 team was, was the start of just a remarkable run by uh, Al Davis and the Raiders. Uh, we were usually in a championship game or playing to play in the championship game all the way up through probably 85, 86. Uh, it was just a remarkable run. And the thing that happened was the, we were able to retain our coaches and, and that helped tremendously. But Al made some deals like, uh, we got Daryl LaMonica, for example, he had signed, um, Art Powell as a free agent in 83, uh, 63 and Art was used as a trade to get LaMonica from Buffalo and that 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 really turned us around plus he added uh, uh, George Blanda and Willie Brown I mean all these guys were in the Hall of Fame and uh, except LaMonica but uh, it's, it's an, an incredible group uh, we had uh, four of our Five starting offensive linemen uh, are in the Hall, are in the, the NFL or the Pro Football thing. Uh, Fred Belenikoff, uh, Cliff Branch is going to go in this year. So it's just a, a an unbelievable, an unbelievable talent base. I guess you'd have to say there. We had Howie Long, Marcus Allen. Jim Otto, I mean, it was just, mag like you said, magical names associated with the, uh, uh, with the Oakland Raiders or L.A. Raiders. I, I forgot about I mean, that. You, you never LA know, Raiders right. And to this day, they've, they've changed so many times, you know, you never know who you're talking about. So I always just say, hey, the yeah. Raiders. Um, but that first that first go around you had with the Raiders was sixty three to seventy four, and the names that came out of me. I mean, obviously one of the most interesting guys, you know, Kenny Stabler, uh, 
Art Shell, Flores was the quarterback, I think, when you got there. You had Gene Upshaw, Tatum. You mentioned Bolitnikov, a real interesting uh, uh, name that popped out because of the circumstances. 73, you take Ray Guy in the first round. Um, talk to me a little bit about Ray Guy and, and you know, kickers at to that point never had it been a first round pick for a punter. But what was behind that? And uh, he ended up being what? Backup quarterback as well. Uh, right. Yeah. He was like the third or fourth quarterback. But I think what, what that was was field position. Uh, you know, we we kind of stumbled a little bit. We we could never get over the hump. And uh, by getting over the hump, I mean winning that, uh, that championship game to go play in the Super Bowl. But the other guys were driving 60 yards. We got Ray Guy. Suddenly they had to go 80, 85 yards. And it's a little bit different now. Uh, he, he was just exceptional at what he was able to do with that right leg of his. It was, uh, uh, we went down to play at the Saints in New Orleans. They had that, that gondola up there. And he was able to hit that. And I don't think anybody had ever done that, uh, kicking it or punting it. Uh, he was a superb athlete. He was uh, he was an All-American safety man at Southern Mississippi. Uh, I think he was also a pitcher on their baseball team. And, but uh, he was just a remarkable individual when it came to, to what he had to do when he had to do it. And, I, and funny stories, we were playing the Bears, and this, these, were, these were the bad, bad Bears, those 85 Bears. And we lost our two quarterbacks, and uh, everybody saw we were going to put Ray Guy in, but we didn't, we, we didn't do that. We couldn't <laughs> subject him to that uh, brutality. Anyway, but Ray Guy, uh, the only thing I can recall is we were sitting there and a fellow by the name of Joe Delamalier was staring us in the face as long as Ray Guy. But we uh, decided to take Ray Guy. Well, I'd, I'm not I'd sure have to, yeah, I'd have to speculate. I mean, it's, I'd have to spec, especially a, a kicker, you know, to be a first round pick, he had to be so, uh, you know, far ahead of his time to, he, he had to be that second best kicker in the country that was in the draft that year had to be light years behind Ray guy for you to think that highly of him. Uh, but you're probably right. I mean, I don't, I, I don't remember that, but I do. Remember, they had a, a, a game called the college all-star game. And uh, back then, and Ray was on the college all-star team. So he comes in and, uh, John Madden's a coach, and we're talking about a, a, an exhibition game here now, not a regular season game. And his first punt goes about 20 yards, and it's a dying duck right over the head, head of John Madden. And he starts yelling and screaming at me, you know, like I had something to do with it. I was, uh, at that time, you had to have a get-back coach on the sideline, and during the preseason, that's what I did. I run up and down the sideline, say, get back, get back, get back. You know, get off the field. <laughs> so, so, so. Anyway, that, that was Ray Guy. 
the end of 74, uh, and this to me is interesting. How did the expansion Buccaneers get Ron Wolf to go from the, from the, from the Raiders, the hell's angels of football to take on that, that Buccaneer. You were the VP of football operations. John McKay was, was the uh, coach. How'd they, how'd they get you to come to the Buccaneers and leave the Raiders? Well, it was a, it was an opportunity and, uh, Truth be known, Brett, I wasn't mature enough to do that at that particular time, although I thought I was, you know, like everybody, I think they're a little bit bigger than they really and truly are, or a little bit better than they really are. Well, I, uh, I, I really wasn't. Now, we did a pretty good job of putting together a team, but, you know, we, we established a, a, a record that's uh, – uh, never going to be broken. Uh, we went 0 and 26, and uh, it's kind of like Cal Ripken's uh, record in baseball. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, those things are never going to be broken. And uh, but we did win. Finally, win two games. We won finally two games, and the owner had, had enough enough of me. He canned me, and you know, and, and I will say this about those Buccaneers, though. In the fourth year of their existence, that was the first expansion team in the history of the NFL to go go into the uh, championship game. And of course, they lost. But uh, now that's not that's not a big thing now with free agency. But that was big back then. So that's what happened. So. Al called me and asked me to come back to the Raiders and like a whip puppy with my tail between my legs. I went back to the Raiders and spent some more time there. And we, you know, we had pretty good 83, pretty good years. There. I'd, I'd say so. John Madden was the coach when he came back. Uh, we recently lost him. I passed away, but uh, talk a little bit about John. I think the thing about John was, was again was I don't think people realize how smart he really was and how much he he really liked football. Uh, I mean, he worked his tail off and and, and he did just a remarkable job. Uh, I don't think people can appreciate the pressure that they that uh, Al Davis put on his coaches, uh, but there was a lot of pressure and he said. He eventually succumbed to that pressure, which is, um, uh, I'm talking about he only lasted 10 years, but uh, as a coach, as a head football coach. But he was a remarkable person in that regard. He did, he, his record is incredible when you, when you study the records of head coaches in the NFL. And, of course, everybody knows what happened afterwards. He became a little bit larger than life. Uh, and uh, TV personality. So, as a football coach, exceptional. And you know, he 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 and Kenny Saber had a pretty good thing. I think Tom Brady just recently tied or broke that record of five consecutive championship games. And uh, I think Tom Brady may have broken that record. Uh, but that that in itself was part of John John Madden's legacy. 
come back in 79, 80. Uh, and we just had him on the program, Dick Vermeil. Uh, you beat Dick Vermeil's Eagles in the Super Bowl. Your first, your first Super Bowl uh, victory. You end up getting three throughout the course of your career. How was that first one? Uh, and we talk on the program a lot about going to that that first Super Bowl, winning that first Super Bowl, going to that first World Series, winning that first World Series. If you're lucky enough to do it, uh, what was that 80, 80 run for you like? Well, it was unbelievable because of the team we had. That uh, it just kind of stuck together with like post-ups, postums, and guys guys came in and played played exceptionally well. And uh, uh, the big key was uh, you know Jim Plunkett. Jim Plunkett was just superb, and the rest of the guys kind of kind of went along with it. Uh, you know, we had Shell, we had Upshaw, we had Otto, we had George Beard, we had a really good uh, Bob Brown, really good offensive line. Uh, again, we had uh, Branch and and Bolitnikoff. Uh, so it was just, it was kind of like we were destined to do it. We, we were the wild card team and came in and won everything. And then go play Philadelphia down there in New Orleans. Right to the Super Bowl and got hot. And uh, Kenny King made a deal for Kenny King and, uh, as a runner. And he had a, he had a big day. Uh, Rod Martin intercepted three of Jaworski's passes. So everything kind of like worked for us. And uh, that, that, was, uh, that was really good. And, and, of course, now you win the game. And you honestly, it's like, you're, it's like your feet don't touch the ground as, you, as you're walking around. Just incredible. Incredible. Wonderful 83. experience. 83, you Excuse go me. back to – go ahead. I'm, go ahead, Ron. No. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Then, then, okay, we're going to talk about 83. That was a heck of a football team put together. Well, there. 83, you're, you're back there three years later, and, and you win it again. Yeah. You beat the Redskins that time. Flores is is now the head coach. Uh, and, and you kind of ushered in uh, kind of a new wave of Raiders. You know, Howie Long had been drafted in 81. Marcus Allen came along in 82. Later on, we'll get to it, but, you know, Bo and Tim Brown. Um and I want to talk about those players, but talk about 83. That's Super Bowl championship. It's your second one. Any different than the first one? Any sweeter? Equal. No, no, no. It's, uh, uh, we, we had a really good team. But, you know, we were playing the Redskins. And uh, uh, I think we, I think the Redskins might have been favored by 10, 10 points or something. And... Uh, we couldn't figure that out. And I think it was 28 to nothing in the first half favor of the Raiders. I think that's true. It might have been 21 nothing. But uh, uh, just a heck of a football football team assembled again. Really good players, uh, like you mentioned. Uh, my I spent 25 years off and on with the Raiders, okay? And the two best players during my time were Marcus Allen and Howie Long, in my opinion. But there is a long list 
of just great players that have played for the uh, for the silver and black. Uh, it's hard to top a guy like you get a player like a Ted Hendricks, remarkable player. But that you know Willie Brown and so on and so forth. Just we're very fortunate that all gelled. But that '83 team was really good. And uh, the team that was the team that was also good was, was our '85 team, but we lost. We lost. Uh, this was in LA. We lost to New England in, in a championship game in LA. That was also a really good football team. Super Bowls, remarkable. You know, we were in the number two Super Bowl too against the Green Bay Packers down here in Miami. Uh, I say down here. I live in Jupiter, Florida, and that's north north of Miami. In fact, I spent a lot of time with your dad down here, where I am. Really, with the uh, Nationals, yeah. Right. I will be there. By the way, Ron, I will be there next week. Uh, my son pl- plays for the Nationals now. He's in the minor league, so I'm going to go check him out for a couple of days. We're going to. I'm going to take a little golf trip. And then uh, sprinkle in a little minor league nationals uh, at the end of the week. I come in, uh, yeah, a week from now. We're gonna, I'm going to be down there for four or five days. Oh shoot, I'm going to be gone. I would like to have an opportunity to say hello, but uh, yeah, I'm going to be gone. That's unfortunate. Where are you but, going? Yeah, no. Beg your pardon. Where are you going? I, I'm going. I've got to go up to Massachusetts. I got to granddaughters and a son and daughter-in-law and all their birthdays are in uh, oh yeah they need graphs around <laughs> that's right middle, middle of march so <laughs> um a player that i played against and and was fascinated by uh just the physicality and i and i mentioned him earlier but you got to see him briefly um i never got to see him on the football field but i'll tell you i had a I had a time in the minor leagues. He was. He, this is when Bo was coming back from his uh, his hip injury, and I was in the minor leagues. I had just signed professionally, and he came down on a rehab assignment. And he came to second base. He was buddy. I, I was kind of buddies with him because he played with Dad in Kansas City, so I knew him from coming to the ballpark, coming to visit my dad. And he got he got in a rundown. And I'm, you know, I'm at second base. I go to the bag. They throw me the ball. Bo is probably, oh, and I didn't mention to people out there listening that we're talking about Bo Jackson. He's about 20 feet away from me, you know, in between first and second base, just getting in a rundown. I'm figuring, all right, I'm going to have to run at him. It's going to be a couple throws. He's going to be out. He takes off on a full sprint. Now, mind you, I've got the ball at second base standing on the bag. He's 20 feet from me. He gets in that crouch position, like a sprint position. He comes running straight at me as as fast as he can run. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is this guy doing? You, you, he knows that he can't run me over, right? I mean, I mean, this is back when you could still run the catcher over at home plate. But you can't run me over. You, you get to run down. You try, you try to beat the play here, Bo. He kept running. He's 10 feet away. He's still coming at me full speed. I don't have to move. And I'm thinking, does he know I have the ball? So I just, you know, I have my glove down where I'm going to tag him. He's five feet away from me, Ron. He's still 
at full speed. One of the scariest things I've ever seen on a baseball field. He gets to two steps from me. And, and it's tough to do it, you know, <laughs> on the radio waves. I can't really explain it. If, if I was on TV showing you, I could show you. He stopped, leaned back, and put his right foot on the bag, like stopped on a dime from a full sprint. I panicked, pulled away, didn't make the tag, then put the tag back on him. He was out by so much. The ball had beaten him by so much that the umpire called him out. And Bo looks at me and he goes, hey, Booney, he goes, you know, I was safe, don't you? And he runs off the field. And of course he was safe. It wasn't even close. But, it, you know, it's one of one of those things where the ball beats you by 20 feet. You're out. If you have the tag down, you're out. It was one of the scariest things I, I've ever witnessed on a baseball field. Anyway, that's my Bo first encounter. Uh, tell me, tell me, Bo, the football player, what you saw on that field. Well, he was... Uh... He was, when you watch him play at Auburn, uh, he was the uh, shortest report I ever wrote in, in my life, which was, I don't know if he can block. That's the only thing I didn't know. Now I gave him the highest grade you could ever give a player. Uh, so he was as remarkable as you just described an athlete that I'd ever been around. And he, he was an incredible, powerful individual. Uh, and that's probably what got him in trouble. He tried to run through rather than run around. And, uh, but you're talking about a man that ran 41240 at 226 pounds. Uh, I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, nobody can do that. The guy, uh, except he did it. Give me a perfect example. Um, when one is out scouting in football, you you go to say you go to University of Georgia. Say, so, geez, I wonder which one is Herschel Walker. So you go out in the field and right away you know which one's Herschel Walker. I mean, it's not rocket science. You know, you can see. You the same thing at Auburn. I wonder which one is Bo Jackson. You go out there and then you see which one is Bo Jackson. He would lie flat on the ground and somehow stand up. And I, I don't know how he could do that. We had three or four guys with the Raiders who won Olympic gold medals on the, uh, on the relay team uh, for the United States of America. He was faster mm-hmm. than any one of them. For 60 yards. And yeah, I believe that. They would all check him out. They couldn't beat him. They all tried. Couldn't do it. And I'm sure that if anyone were listening, I'd go, no, you're full of crap. Well, I'm not full of crap because he was just, he was just remarkable. And uh, so, unfortunately, he got hurt. Uh, uh, he, I guess everybody would probably say today he probably should have stuck with uh Baseball. I had an interesting experience. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, Bo Jackson or the Raiders, but uh, many years ago, I was invited to watch the Braves do their draft. And in the course of the draft, uh, 
I ask their, their scouting director, who was the best athlete ever to come through? Uh, this was when they were, I think they won 14 out of 15 championships or something. Mm-hmm. It was in, in, in that, uh, in that era there. Uh, who was yeah. Nineties, early two thousands. Yep. Yeah. Right. And they, the guy said, uh, Deion Sanders, which I, I wasn't ready for that answer. You know, I was ready to hear, uh, you know, hear a baseball guy or something like that. But, uh, it's, uh, an interesting, interesting sport you played, Booney. Interesting. Well, well, I'll tell you, Dion. I played with Dion for two years. You know, Bo is the most. You know, I, I kind of summed it up in my in my story what I thought of Bo. But and you play with a lot of lot of fast guys. Obviously, you know, a lot of world class speed. Never seen someone run like Dion. And I'm not thinking like when you said Bo sixty feet. Yeah, I'll take Bo in sixty feet. When, if Dion would hit one in the gap, by the time he got three quarters of the way to first base, I've never seen anybody go faster from first to third than Dion. And 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 I mean, it was like, you know, and he he, you know how Dion he had a little flair to him too. So he's got those, he's got his hands out there and they're in rhythm. But to watch him go first to third, to watch him hit a triple, I've never seen speed like that. Now, you know, that's not the NFL field. Or anything like that, but I played with some pr- pretty fast guys, and I've never seen anything like that. So that really doesn't uh, that doesn't surprise me too much if you say that from from the Braves from the Braves uh, standpoint when when talking about athletic ability. Yeah, that that that, that, was, I, that was Paul Snyder. I directed that question to. It was a legendary uh, scout that put together all those great Braves teams. So. Uh, that's not just some, you know, some guy having a Coke and a hot dog on uh, during a meeting. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. 1990, you take it, uh, you go to the Jets for a year and then, uh, you know, it, it changes for you. You get, you get hired by the Packers, be the general manager. You, you go from 91 to 2000 and, and your first uh, business was to to hire Mike Holmgren. What did you see in Holmgren early that was going to be the captain of that ship? Well, I saw that all the success he had personally with the uh, with the 49ers at that particular time. The 49ers were the darlings of the uh, of the NFL, you know, because they won they won so much. And what was uh, what was really interesting to me about Mike Holmgren was, you know, he had. He had Joe Montana, he had Steve Young, but he went. They went ten and six with uh, uh, Kemp and Morosky, and uh, to me, that defined Mike Holmgren. And all you have to do is look at his record. His 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 record today. I I, I think it's like 164 wins in the National Football League. All that, which which is incredible. I, I, to this day, do not understand why he's not in the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame over some of these other guys that have gotten in recently. He has a far better record than they have and a far better winning percentage. Uh, but he he, command, he commanded respect. I had a long talk with uh, Brett uh, the other day, and uh, Brett Farr, and 
Well, so, so, you know, who do you credit for making you who you became? And he said, Mike Holmgren, because he, he wouldn't let him relax. He, he, he wouldn't let him get away with BS or he had to do it the, the right way. And uh, now, you know, Brett's Brett. And Brett's going to do everything he can to, to win the game. And a lot of times he's not going to listen to what uh, Mike Holmgren's going to say. But, uh, and, you know, I mean, his winning percentage is, uh, is incredible. Do you realize... Brett, we were eight, 841 winning percentage in Lambeau Field when I left. Got there and left. I mean, we won 25 consecutive games in there. And uh, guys, take credit for that. Brett Favre, Michael. I mean, they, uh, we, plus we had a pretty good football team, I think, uh, which helped. That's I'd say you did. Um, you trade for Favre. That's your first player personnel. Big, yep. big deal. And obviously, you know, what history now you look back on it history wise and think, oh, yeah, anybody could have done that. Well, at the time and Favre summed it up for me, him and Glanville, Glanville wanted no part of him over there uh, with the Falcons. You insisted on having Favre. I, I think he just, something happened and he didn't pass the physical and they said, Ron Wolf just said, we'll take him anyway. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but obviously other than the obvious that the cannon of an arm and ends up being, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. What was, what was it about Brett that, that you had to have him that made him so special to you? The thing about Brett was, when he came on the field, I felt the field tilted in his team's favor. That was the aura he had when he came on the field. And you have to understand, he's, <clears throat> he was bigger than a lot of the guys uh, playing in his offensive line uh, at Southern Mississippi. But, you know, <clears throat> just look at, look at his, his career that he had. I mean, he... Should have beaten Georgia in Georgia, which is impossible. He beats Auburn in Auburn. He, he beats Florida State in their homecoming game. They were so confident that they were going to win the game that they moved it from Tallahassee to the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville. In comes Southern Minute, and they beat them. I was driving, um, well, I want to say 10 years ago now, down here in Florida, listening to Pat Dye one night, and they said, Coach Dye, who's the best player you ever played against? It didn't take him five seconds to save Brett Favre. Uh, but that's kind of what I saw. Every time I saw Brett play, I, I saw him play the East-West run game. I saw him play in a scrimmage up in Portland, Oregon, for the Falcons. He did things that the really great ones do. And I was just shocked. Here I am. In, in Atlanta, this is my first experience as a general manager of the Green Bay Packers. The Falcons, or the Packers are playing the Falcons in Atlanta. Ken Hirock, I've worked with Ken for a long time with the Raiders. Uh, uh, says to me, I'm sitting up here having a hot dog. If you want to see Brett Favre throw, you better go look at him now because when the team comes out, they won't let him throw. 
So I'm thinking to myself, wow, I'm going to go down and, and watch this. But I knew right then and there that I had an opportunity to, to get Brett Favre. And I also knew uh, uh, exactly what it was going to cost to get him. I know I wasn't going to be able to do one of these great deals, you know, give you two, I'll give you two, three, four, something like that. I knew I was going to have to give up a one. And fortunately, uh, the Packers had had an extra one from a, uh, from the previous regime, uh, which, which, which we used. But I was sitting there with Bob Arlen, my boss, so to speak, and uh, I told him about it. I said, we're we got a chance to get a quarterback, and, and we're going to have to give a number one. And he said, that's good. Now you'll have to go before the, the Green Bay Packers executive committee next Tuesday and explain that to them because it was a, it, they met the executive committee, which co- consisted of seven people, met uh, one, once a month. And I sat and told them what I thought of, uh, of Brett Favre, and I'm sure I then I, then I left. And I'm sure, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall because I'm sure Bob, Bob fielded a lot of questions about this, this nut they just, he just hired from New York that was going to bring in this guy and he was going to change everything around. But that's what I thought about Brett, that he had that capability. And most of the time he did. Most of the time he, he won. We were, yes, sir. We were fifteen and three against those Chicago Bears. Yeah, he had mentioned that we we talked about the Bears, and he said, "Well, let me just put it this way: uh, something to the fact where where Rogers, you know, recently uh, I, he, he made some some off the the cuff comment, and and Brett was asked, uh, "Did he steal that from you?" He said, "I would never say something like that publicly." He said, "But just for the record." I beat the Bears a lot more than they beat me. And since I've left Green Bay, I have a lot more. I have a way better winning percentage since uh, when I played than since I left, you know, referring to Green Bay. It was, it was kind of funny. But, um, yeah. you know, you, you mentioned something real unique about the Green Bay Packers. You meet with a seven uh, a seven man panel. Because there's no owner. The people own the Green Bay Packers. It's something unique in all of sports that's different. Um, how was that for you? Was it, was it bizarre or just the way it was? That's, yeah, Brett, that's kind of like just the way it was. Now, you have to understand, these guys were shell-shocked. I mean, they had 25 years of bad football. And, you know, where, where it used to be very prestigious to be on that, those, uh, that executive committee suddenly – it wasn't so good because people were upset with how bad the Packers were. So uh, when we were able to pull off getting Mike Holmgren and then certainly getting Favre, and then uh, the third game of the 1992 season, we beat Cincinnati. And Brett Favre throws a touchdown pass with about 14 seconds left to go in the game. And that changed that changed everything around. That changed the whole aspect of, of the Green Bay Packers. We were nine seven that year, and uh, then we just started winning and winning 90. and winning and what? And that's what you know. There, to me, there there 
only one statistic that matters in professional football. It's your W's and L's. The rest of it is immaterial. It's your W's and L's, not your draft choices that make it or the trades you made or didn't make or the bad trade. Your one loss record is what this game is all about. And uh, you get a guy like Brett Favre, that's a once in a lifetime. I was in it actively 38 years, and he's the best player I was ever around. 93. Uh, you know, you go home, Grinfar. This seems like the next biggest one you get. Reggie White uh, from the from the Eagles. That changed the culture in Green Bay, bringing Reggie White in? Well, I think everybody says that, but, but, but it uh, certainly did. I I mean, this was a great football player. This is the best free agent. He or Deion Sanders were the two best free agents ever in the history of the game, my opinion. Now, people might argue now now that uh, uh, Tom Brady has to fit into that, uh, and I don't dispute that either. But uh, at that time, uh, there, wasn't, there weren't any two better players than those two, and and one of them cast his lot with the with the Packers, and it was uh, it was an interesting deal. But, but he came with us, and you talk about helping us. That helped us immensely because he was such a tremendous football player, just a great football player. Guys like that don't walk down the street every day. I'm sure you you experienced that in all your years playing baseball. There are certain guys that just had that, that ability or, or I'm having trouble here finding the proper word, but no, 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 I know what you're talking about. It's yeah. It's that guy, that difference maker. They walk into the room, you know, something different about that guy. Uh, I, I happen to be around a couple of them that really, you know, as a, as a teammate, Ken Griffey jr. You know, it gets kind of, old me saying that, but he was that type of player where he was just that much better than the rest of us. You know, it's like he was playing on a different level. The The best player I've ever seen, and it's not even close, is uh, Barry Bonds. I mean, just to play against him, it's you talk about that aura and that difference maker. When he walked on the field, it was it was literally like he was playing slow pitch softball on a Sunday and the rest of us were grinded out a big league season. He was that much better than us. And, and the player, I mean, if you polled every player from 1990 to 2010 and said, who's the best player you've ever seen, it, it would be 99% would say Barry Bonds. He was that much different. So I know exactly what you're talking about when you talk about just that, that difference maker that comes along. It's a once in a lifetime type player. Exactly. Exactly, and that's what that was. That was Reggie White. So yeah, he he changed it. You know, help. You know, guys like Sean Jones coming in helped. Uh, but uh, we had a great a kid, a guy named Leroy Butler who just got voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year, who was on our team, who was an exceptional leader of our defensive group and. Uh, you know, they all meshed, and it, it all worked. There's nothing better than that when it all works. 
94, you go nine and seven, follow that up with 11 and five, and then 96 comes. And this kind of really changes Green Bay forever. Uh, Super Bowl champs. Third for Ron Wolf. And I asked you about the first two. Was this one any sweeter because you were the GM? Uh, or was it was it just as sweet as those Raider Raider titles you won? No, this this was this was really special. Just what you said because I was I was a GM. Actually, the best moment of my my uh, my entire career came when we beat Carolina previously for the right to go to the Super Bowl. Because everybody said when I took that job in Green Bay that uh, uh, I would fail. And uh, in five years, we turned the whole thing around. And here we were, champions of the uh, national conference. And we were going to go play the Patriots in, in, in the Super Bowl in New Orleans. So that was just a remarkable moment for me. And to have an opportunity to be in Lambeau Field to experience that. And you talk, talk about, a, I would assume that Lambeau Field would be like old Yankee Stadium used to be. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, when you go in there and you realize that, you know, Babe Ruth walked here, Lou Gehrig walked here, Joe DiMaggio walked, Mickey Mantle, so on and so forth. That's kind of what Lambeau Field is. You know, those great names, Paul Horning and Bart Starr and Willie Davis. Herb Adderley, they all, all played there. Don Hudson, it's, uh, it's just a great place. And, and to, to be able to be a part of that, to be a part of that franchise at that particular moment is the greatest experience for me personally in my career. 97, you go back to the Super Bowl. You end up losing the Broncos. I think you guys were favored going into that game. And I think Brett alluded to the fact that's when he was winning his MVPs. He won three in a row. Uh, almost, you know, disappointed that, man, we had a run there where we could have won some more and we didn't. But, but it just goes to show you, you know, how elusive and how tough it really is to win that big game, to win that World Series. They don't grow on trees. Appreciate them when you get that chance even to go, let alone win one. You're right there. You're right there. And we we laid a huge egg that day. There's no question about that. But, hey, it's one of those things. I can't say it doesn't stay with you because it does stay with you. And, uh, you know, we had – then we go 98 and we lose in San Francisco. As I said, San Francisco, when we started this, this talk here, San Francisco, they were the darlings of the National Football League. We lost to them once my whole time there, 10 years. And it happened to be in San Francisco in, in 98. Uh, uh, so anyway, and then and then Holmgren left, and then, then I left. And End of story. You retire after the after the 2000 season, an unbelievable, pretty much decade. Uh, turned Green Bay into into the Green Bay we know today, and and uh, you were you were the captain of that ship. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about because the bulk of your career was it was in the scouting department. Take me into that war room. Did you see draft day with Kevin Costner? 
Uh, I know I didn't see that. Uh, okay. I, yeah, I was going to ask you if you haven't seen it. Um, take me into that. You know, I, I know what it's like kind of in that baseball draft room, football different, but take me into the draft room. How did you, back in the day, how did you evaluate? How did you get to that final decision where, you, where you're on the clock? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that up because I did watch a clip of you uh, talking about the Ray Lewis day, the one that got away. But take me, take me through draft day and, and behind the scenes and what it's like in that war room and what leads up to that final pick. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing was we we prepared. We started preparing uh, the Thursday before the Super Bowl. We started preparing, breaking down uh, the the uh, our draft board. So we would put our draft board together, and uh, that consisted. We get meet at seven thirty in the morning, and we took an hour and a half for lunch, and then we'd go home after seven thirty at night, and we did that continuously seven days a week. So we got our draft board in order. Now, uh, then we would go to the combine and then come back. And, and because of, uh, you know, certain athletic qualities that we would witness in, uh, in Indianapolis, we would have to change our, uh, change our board, which we did. But the, the key was that getting ready for draft day, we had all our discussions and arguments and guys standing on the table pounding for this guy that prior to draft day. Draft day, we had the board, and we were going to follow the board. And uh, that's pretty much what we did. Uh, the uh, I wish I could say every time we uh, we followed the board, but we didn't. And when we didn't, guess what would happen? It would come up and grab you right by the rear end and pull you back down again. And you would say to yourself, geez, I should have stuck with the board the way we had it rather than say go for a position or, or something of that nature. But we, our, our draft room was full because, you know, we had the executive committee in there, coaches were in there, scouts were in there. But we we didn't really have uh, we didn't have discussions. I, I'm assuming that maybe in this movie they had people standing and pounding the table and things like that. When I was with the Jets for one one year of uh, of, of the draft, they, they had guys that, that were doing that, were talking and all that stuff. But we didn't do that. I, I wanted it all simple. I wanted it done, and this is how we're going to go. And we, we usually uh, we usually did okay. And that brings me that bring me to that '96 draft, and that was the Ray Lewis draft, the kind of the one that got away from me. I, I watched it. I watched a clip of you talking about it, and and that made me smile. I like the way you told the story. Take uh, take the Boone. <laughs> the Boone podcast through that that Ray Lewis, the one where you, you I think you were picking twenty sixth, and he ended up going 25th. to the Ravens twenty twenty fifth. But you thought you had it. Yeah, no, I thought I thought for sure we had because we were talking to Ray Lewis. We were talking to Ray Lewis's agent. Uh, we had a guy standing up there. At, uh, it was less than a minute to go, and we had a guy standing up there with Ray Lewis's card to hand in. We were going to take Ray Lewis and. The Ravens did it. Now you talk about the Ravens took them, 
and the rest, as we know, is history. Uh, he is just a fabulous football player. But I have played this so many times over. I should have made a deal. <laughs> there were several things I should have done in order to get him, and I didn't do it. And, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's Monday morning quarterback in there, you know. So, anyway, that as I said, I, had I been able to pull that off, I would have really been recognized as a, as a genius, but it, it, it didn't work out. Never, it didn't work out. I think you said you referred to you, you were too relaxed and, and you thought you had it in the bag and all of a sudden they, they come to the podium and you go, no, we had him. Yeah, that's right. No, yeah. You can't at that particular moment, you can't be relaxed. You have to concentrate. You have to concentrate. You have to, you have to have that feeling that, that, uh, that sense of purpose and all that. And we lost, I had lost that. That was not my finest moment, by the way. Uh, you came into the game in 63. It's now, obviously, uh, times have changed quite a bit since then in, in all sports. You know, I see it in my game over here in baseball. Uh, players are just different now, you know, in a lot of ways, a, a lot of things I envy about them. You know, I wish I had some of the things they have at their fingertips and the training techniques and and the technology uh how to prepare. I, I think there's and a lot of things I kind of think, wow, I, I'm glad I played in the era that I did. What do you see uh, the modern day guy uh, versus the, the, not only 63, but, but all your time throughout the game, how the, how the modern day athletes changed. I think well, they're a yeah, little I mean, more diva ish now. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that because uh, of the money, uh, the money is, uh, the money has certainly changed, but, but I've been out 21 years now from this. And uh, to me, it's a different game. There's always a game of blocking, tackling, and kicking. Well, they don't let you practice that blocking and tackling as much as uh, it probably needs to be. But uh, everybody says that guys are better. I, I, I'm not sure, Brett, I'm not sure about that. I agree with you that they have better facilities. They have better training, better dietitian, better diets, more, more things uh, that uh, are are available to them. I remember talking with Red Shane Deans, the uh, former manager, Hall of Famer from the Cardinals. He was talking about spring training down here. Uh, I live in Jupiter, Florida, and. Uh, the Cardinals train here, and he was telling me that back in the day, their training camp was over in St. Petersburg, and they had one baseball. Think about that. I mean, you know, one cage, one place. And today, it's it's not like that, obviously. These guys have so much more. Uh, uh, I feel the same way. My son works for the Patriots. And, you know, they have these, these films now that you want to say you want to watch a quarterback, you can just queue up the quarterback and you can see every pass he ever threw in about two hours. You know, back in the day, shoot, you were watching film and you could never do it like that. But I'm not answering your question. I, I think uh, 
you know, I, I think that the, I think you have to be exceptional to be a professional athlete in football, and I also feel the same way in baseball. And uh, I mean, those are it doesn't get any it doesn't get any better than that. And you're up I, in I, that league. But I think I know what you're alluding to when you say I'm not going to just fold the cards and say they're better players now. When they talk about that in the baseball arena, I look at the physicality of of the modern day athlete. They are getting bigger. They are getting stronger. You know, I look at the athleticism and I see that it's definitely trending in the right direction. But I'm with you in the in the fact, you know, you they may be throwing a tick harder consistently. You know, if the, if the fastball in 2005 was, was 91 to 93, it's probably 92 to 94 or maybe 92 to 95. I'll I'll give you that. Doesn't necessarily mean you're better. It doesn't mean you're a better pitcher than Greg Maddox because you throw harder, but I'll give in to the physicality that the bigger, stronger, faster, that is trending in the, in the right direction. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to stick with you. I don't know that the players are necessarily better. Do they play the game? Are they smarter? Uh, I don't know. A lot of a lot of things I see in my game. It's like, what are you thinking? You know, a lot of a lot of things are programmed. Now you have cue cards in your back pocket. You look, oh, where am I going to defense? And I and I know it's a little more complicated than, than how I'm breaking it down. But I'm with you. I don't think it necessarily the players are better and that probably translates to the football field as well i'm sure guys are getting consistently faster than they were in 1965 doesn't mean they're better football players if that makes sense exactly exactly and that's that's my point i mean how much better could you be than ted williams or stan musial i mean how much better could you be than those guys i mean and who are those guys today i mean who are those guys to equal those guys uh I'm talking about guys when I was growing up. I had right. occasion. You know, some of the first, we went back to where I'm from. In 1949, my dad took me to Washington to watch the Cleveland Indians play the Washington Senators. And the shortstop was a fellow by the name of Ray Boone. Ray Boone. I think he was his grandfather, right? That's my gramps, yeah. That's my boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, they had just won the, won the World Series a year before, and everybody was the same except he was in there instead of Lou Boudreau at shortstop. And uh, uh, so you just think about those players. Uh, what, what they had to go through is uh, if, if they had the benefit that the guys have today you know, the techniques and all that that they have today. Um, I'm with you, though. I'm not sure that uh, uh, the players today are, are that much better than the players before. Well, and I just, you know, I always fall back to the, the same thing. And it's um, time will tell. And, and each history will uh, history will judge the current generation, you know, my generation, the generation before me. Uh, history will, will judge that. And and uh, it, it seems like I, you, you mentioned Gramps, you mentioned Ray. I'll tell you, Ron, I can't tell you how many times I, he, he you know, he lived in San Diego. And when I'd come in on the road trip, 
uh, I'd, you know, I'd have 20 or 30 relatives waiting for me after the game to say hi. I'd come out. My grandpa was always in the back back. He didn't want to be a part of the cousins and the aunts. And the he had his special time with me when it was all said and done. And um, I'd get through the, you know, saying all the hellos. And it'd take me 10 or 15 minutes to get through the family. Then I'd see Gramps. You know, he needs a special time. He's got to go over the game with me today. But uh, <laughs> always to him, I was, oh, you guys today, the way, yeah, she's, <laughs> I would just laugh. I'd say, Gramps, give it a rest. And I always thought, you know, I'm never going to be like you. I'm never going to yell at my grandkids and say we were way better than you. <laughs> but it was funny, and I miss those times, but it, it, but it's so cool. And, and uh, what I've learned, if, if I've learned anything, and I'm still learning, is each generation will be judged historically on, on whether it was good, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it always seems like you know once you your generation is gone everybody loved that generation but when you when you were the current generation they loved the generation before you so time will tell on this um sure. 2000 2000 a real special time and and the big one was 2015 for you going to the pro football hall of fame but I, you mentioned Lambo and and how unbelievable of a stadium it is and and uh, just somewhere special. In two thousand, you go into the Packers Hall of Fame and and Brett said the same thing. You know he was coming back after going to Minnesota and kind of being the enemy for a couple of years, and he said he was kind of worried when he was going back to to have his number retired. Uh, but he said you know seventy five thousand people showed up and there wasn't even a game that day, and he said it was the most one of the most unbelievable days of his life. I'm sure in 2000, you go into the Packers hall of fame. That had to be a pretty special day for you, especially what Lambeau field in that city meant to you. It certainly was. And it's, uh, again, it's one of those things where it's awfully difficult to be able to adequately express the feeling one has of being able to be associated with the green Bay Packers operation. And, uh, you know, to add that, to add the, oppor- you know, the opportunity to be put into the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame, unbelievable honor for a little guy from New Freedom, Pennsylvania, I'll tell you. And uh, it's one of those things where you pinch yourself. Is this really happening? But as I said, we, we did a pretty good job up there. Uh, we won 100 games in uh, over 100 games in nine years up there. Uh, so that 841 winning percentage in Lambeau Field, again, that's a, an incredible statistic when you, when you think about it. It took a while for me to grasp what kind of player we needed up there uh, because it's, uh, starting in October, the climate's a little different. And uh, you, you, know, you need big people to play this, play this game, not necessarily – uh, gargantuans, but bigger corners, bigger safeties, bigger linebackers, that type of thing. And uh, took a while to understand and grasp that. No, uh, 2000, beautiful. My, you know, my family, uh, our two boys uh, graduated from school there and uh, high school there and went on. And uh, then we can get to 2015. And uh, that was, uh, that's one of those things where your feet never touch the ground. But I can tell you, when you get that news and you realize that I was number 295 
in the, in the history of uh, professional football to be inducted into Canton, Ohio. And it's just a remarkable feeling. Yeah, pretty awesome. What are you most proud of? Oh, I think the big thing I, I'm most proud of is I, w- I was very fortunate to to find a gal that let me live the life I wanted to live. Let me have my chance to, uh, to either make it or break it in a sport that I, I, I had dedicated my life to. And, you know, she raised the kids. She did the moves and all that. And I was very fortunate to, to have, uh, to find her and, and to, uh, uh, I've been married to her now for 43 years. And it's uh, a wonderful experience. Professionally, as I said, the biggest thing for me professionally was winning that title in Green Bay, Wisconsin against Car- uh, Carolina Panthers. Uh, for the right to go to the Super Bowl. I I have never, ever experienced anything like that in my life, uh, nor will I ever now again. So just a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And I would say this to you personally. Get your butt up there. Get up there and watch a game. And that, that will all come in. But I would suggest that you go in September. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a Southern I'm a Southern Cal guy. Ron Wolf, uh, it's been a pleasure, man. A lot of fun. Uh, the man that orchestrated and, and kind of got the got the Green Bay Packers uh, where they are today. You were you were at the very beginning, and uh, it was an honor to have you on the show. And and what we do each and every show at the end is we kick it back to the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy, for a question from the fans. Dan. Gentlemen, how are you? We're good. Okay, this one comes to you, Mr. Wolf. Jeff from Kenosha wants to know this. The Bears have a brand new GM in Ryan Poles coming into a similar situation as you when you came aboard for the Packers who were losing at that time. What advice do you have for a GM that's just coming into the gig and what kind of challenges do you expect he'll be be, uh, finding? Well, I, I would have to say, since the game is, is so different today than when I went into it, but you, you must endeavor to persevere. That's what I would say. Okay. Also, oh, wait a minute. To thine own self be true. <clears throat> In other words, if you, if you have a feeling about a player, get that player. Uh, that's the best I could do. <laughs> Appreciate it. And the other, the the follow up question to that is that why is it so hard to build such good teams in cold cities like Green Bay and Chicago? What is the uh, what is the challenges of that? Well, I think the the Packers have dispelled that. Well, they got twenty five years of, uh, of pretty much. Uh, uh, I think I think what you have to have you have to be uh, I hate to use this word but you have to be lucky. Uh, I mean, injuries play such a, a huge factor today 
in the success of, of teams, and you can't get your good players hurt. And uh, I would feel that uh, I would I feel this. I've always felt this way that there are four jewels in the ground in the National Football League: the Packers and the Bears and the Giants, and somebody else can put the other put the other team in there. Uh, it's probably the Cowboys, but uh, the, I think the tradition of the what what the Bears mean to to Chicago and to to the National Football League is enormous. And I, I feel the same way now about the way the Packers are because you have George Hallis with the Bears, Curly Lambeau with, with the Packers, and they're really the national football. When you think about the founders of the league, you think about George Hallis. I know people don't think of Curly Lambeau, but boy, he did a remarkable job. When, when you consider that the town, the size of Green Bay is still sporting a professional franchise. Uh, when he was there, 60,000 people. And I often questioned and wondered, I asked several people up there when I was there, how did he do it? How did he get these guys to come up there? The Cal Hubbards and the Don Hudson's, and Cecil Isbell's, and Arnie Herbers. How did he get, the, well, Herbers from there, but how did he get these great players to come up there when there was no draft? And uh, probably the same way we got Reggie White, we paid more than everybody else. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, uh, I wish I could answer that. I can't. Ron Wolf, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sir. We appreciate it. You betcha. Thank you so much for having me. That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.